0: Uh, George N2APB, your host for tonight, along with co host Joe N2CX, and we welcome everybody to Chat with the Designers, which is your live online interactive weekly magazine for homebrewers, QRPers, amateur radio operators, experimenters, or just uh, listening aficionados across the fruited plain. Really glad to have you here with us this is episode number 27 27 weeks we've been uh, we've been doing this and going strong really enjoying the operation of chat with the designers and presenting to you all uh, an interactive uh, technical discussion each week about one topic or another relating to the hobby. And it's more often than not a topic about homebrewing or basic technology that we ourselves are using almost on a regular basis in each of our shacks. Uh, tonight's session is an interesting one. On one hand, it's a small topic that most of us think we've got a good grasp on, and it's a topic about which we, most of us have multiple appliances, and about which there is yet another new idea, perhaps, that we can bring to the table and increase our understanding and enjoyment of the hobby along the way. Tonight's session is Retro SWR. Retro standing wave ratio meters and measurement techniques, SWR meters are very common in our shack. One of the very first things that we got as hams when we first became licensed, or maybe even before we became licensed, and something that stays with us to this very day. Sometimes in very small form factor, sometimes in very large form factors. I've got a bunch of boat anchors here on my bench. At least one of those items on our whiteboard looks very, very similar to what I have here, and I think I must have maybe four or five others for a variety of operating uses in the field in my pocket, while at work, while mobile, and just to, to kind of play with and experiment with different kinds of readouts, different kinds of bridges, different kinds of techniques for using the bridge to tune our antennas and feed lines and such. And that's pretty much the topic for tonight. We're going to be looking at a wide range of devices, but it's very quickly kind of focusing down on a technique that tends to be very simple, not all that common, and very beneficial in ways that we're going to get into. Joe and I are going to be reviewing the topic of retro SWR and SWR bridges, so let's uh, indeed get into it uh, with retro SWR. Joe, do you want to kick us off, sir? Certainly, George. Good evening, all.
1: Yes, uh, if if you're in tune with the uh, the whiteboard, we've got a couple pictures on the uh, the whiteboard of a couple retro SWR bridges, both Heathkit. There's one that's a gray um, gray paint version, the older one, and a newer green paint version, and a schematic of the newer one. The newer one actually does have a, uh, a toroidal uh, transformer in there for uh, swr uh, measurement whereas the older ones had a um, transmission line in there with a couple coupling lines next to it one for forward and one for reverse not going to say a lot about it but the older ones had the disadvantage that they were frequency sensitive the higher in frequency you went the more sensitive they were so something that would uh, was just adequate for a cb at 27 megahertz was also just adequate for your 75 watt novice rig down at 80 meters because it lost sensitivity to the frequency. More modern uh, bridges are not that way, but uh, Uh, they were
0: always fun. So Joe, it looks like if we kind of look at that first schematic that we've got, if I look at that, you can almost break it down into maybe three or four sections, right? And each of the different sections has, there are multiple ways to accomplish each of those things. On the left-hand side, I guess there's uh, uh, RF detection in, in some particular manner. Then comes to the middle section where there is the actual uh, detection or the the, uh, the rectification of the various uh, voltages in the forward and reverse direction, and then on the right hand side is the metering circuit. Is, is that about as simple as it gets?
1: Indeed, it is. Yeah, uh, and um, as you uh, as you're alluding to, most SWR bridges have exactly that breakdown. Uh, it's just the details in between that. Uh, that differentiate one from the other, um, but the basic principles uh, remained unchanged uh, over the years.
0: So, on the on the input side, it looks like there's a toroid. Most of us here are familiar with toroids and just love winding toroids and such, and that tends to be a kind of a common way of tapping off the RF signal in order to uh, do the subsequent rectification and measurement. But what other techniques are around besides doing the toroid there? And, and you mentioned something about frequency dependency. I'd, I'd kind of like to hear about that myself.
1: Okay. Yeah, this particular configuration is uh, with the toroid is basically fre- um, frequency independent, at least across HF, um, because it uses um, a, a broadband transformer, a toroid core with uh, a forward and a um, reverse sense winding. Um, and there are there are probably oh, half a dozen different configurations of them, which are relatively frequency independent. Some other ways of doing it are um, as I alluded to the the gray uh, heath kit had a um, almost an analog of this with a, um, a fifty ohm transmission line going through there and actual wires next to the uh, to the transmission line to pick it off. The difficulty there was um, the Pickup was uh, dependent on frequency. The um, this technique we're using in the uh, in the retro is one that has been uh, common in uh, QRP use these days, where we use a resistive bridge, which is also um, pretty much frequency independent as long as you keep strays under control.
0: I see. Well, let's take a look at well. Before we get into my next question here, I just want to dwell a little bit longer. On the other method of, um, um, de- uh, of of sampling the RF, you had mentioned having two parallel paths and and having a having a trace or yeah actually a wire. I think Mike W, he's right in here. WA8BXN showed me something last night that might be along this line, having a, a parallel trace essentially that uh, was able to sample off of the main uh, transmission, uh, line. Is that, um, would, would that be part of the frequency, tr- uh, dependent methods?
1: Yeah, that, that, uh, that is the method. It's a shame. I didn't have a chance to give you a sketch of that. It would have been illustrative. I can do that and we can put it in the, uh, in the thing later. But yeah, that was the very earliest method it was simple, but unfortunately it suffered from, uh, frequency dependence. When uh, things went to broadband transformers using uh, ferrite core and uh, a couple sense windings, and as you can see in the schematic here, a uh, small trimmer cap to adjust uh, uh, cross frequency, it becomes much much more uh, uh, frequency independent.
0: Okay, what are, what's that? Um, what's that RF choke? The RFC, along with that other capacitor, looks like it's. Uh... It has something to do with frequency, I would think.
1: Off the top of my head, uh, I think it's just a DC return for the uh, rectifiers, because um, you can't pass DC through a um, uh, you can't pass uh, you can't pass DC through an open circuit uh, or a, uh, a capacitor. That three hundred thirty picofarad capacitor forms a voltage divider with the um, with the ten puff cap. And the RFC is just a uh, high impedance to RF. It's a D C DC return for the detector diodes.
0: Ah, okay. Good point. And sometimes it's hard to see the, the DC path when it's represent when the overall circuit's represented this way. Now, um, as far as those diodes are concerned, the 1N4148, uh, oftentimes called small signal trans... I meant to say diodes. I hope I said that. Often called small signal... Uh, diodes, and uh, can you comment on voltage limitations, uh, minimum current that might be able to flow and hence the minimum type of uh, signal that could be sensed?
1: Sure, yeah, the um, silicon diodes like these have a uh, a forward drop for reasonable currents of uh, about six tenths of a volt. So that means any voltage going, any voltage that you're trying to rectify, uh, past the DC, wants to be uh, reasonably higher than that. Um, uh, you'd like to be uh, <laughs> much higher than that, uh, uh, 20, 30 times that, so that uh, the little bit of error you get in the uh, the voltage drop from the diodes doesn't uh, doesn't affect the readings. Uh, in tube circuits, there were generally a lot of volts there so uh, that is tube circuits with high power so that wasn't an issue Um, if the design is right of the thing um, probably uh, um, stuff designed for qrp want to put at least 10 volts or so of rf on those uh, detector diodes or the uh, six tenths of a volt drop will uh, start to eat into your accuracy
0: i see So, if you wanted better accuracy, or at least lower signal detection levels, what kind of uh, diodes would you use, Joe?
1: Well, a couple choices. Uh, These days, Schottky diodes are pretty cheap. Uh, They can have two three-tenths of a volt drop, so they have uh, much less than uh, the ordinary silicon. Or you can use a, uh, uh, like a 1N34 germanium diode, um, they'll have, uh, probably at most two tenths of a volt drop. Uh, they tend to be leaky, so, um, you don't always gain the accuracy, but, um, that's not a bad way to go.
0: No kidding. Leaky diodes. I, I had not known the 1N34A would have been a, uh, leaky diode. And of course that would probably contribute to, uh, any kind of measurement accuracy that you would, uh, want having that extra signal in there along the way. Um, The rectification part of the forward and reverse voltages are with those respective diodes. And I see there is an RC uh, filter, actually uh, a CRC filter after that. Um, Is that just to kind of smooth out the, uh, essentially the half-wave signal rectification to get the DC level going over to the meter?
1: That's exactly what it is. Yeah, you want to keep the RF... uh... Out of you want to keep the RF from squirting all over the place, and, and uh, those R's and C's uh, will knock the uh, the uh, DC com- the RF component down. Um, being a picky by nature, I would choose a higher resistor than 100 ohms because, uh, if memory serves me correctly, 0.01 microfarad on 80 meters is in the tens of ohms. So, if you have a voltage divider of a 100 ohm resistor and something like um, 10 ohms on the um, uh, capacitor there, um, it's not going to filter probably as well as you'd
0: want. Ah, I see. That was going to be my next question, actually. So, you hit the nail right on the head there. I mean, one could uh, go through it as mathematically as you wished by, you know, calculating time constant, come up with the right kind of filter values and so on but uh 100 ohms didn't seem to be uh maybe high enough um okay now let's go over to the last portion of the circuit which is the meter tell us some stories about the meter because i think there's some there's uh not necessarily magic but we're dealing with low level signals here and you need a meter to handle that low level signal right yeah you do um um
1: the meter i'm not sure what the um Meter sensitivity was—I oh, can't quite read it on the the Heathkit picture. I think it was a hundred microamp meter. So you want something that's reasonably um, um, reasonably sensitive, so that you're not putting a, a big load on the on the uh, detection circuit. Um, so you'd have something um, with a uh, big resistor in series. That 500 k resistor is in series with a meter, so that um, while you're actually reading voltage in the end uh, you end up with a current meter and um, you don't have something fairly high impedance so that you're not loading the detector down and uh, 100 or 200 microam okay i see in the notes um, the gray one is 100 microamps so my guess was right so you don't load down uh, what's going on and uh, back when uh, heathkit was making these 100 microamp meters were uh, fairly common and inexpensive Uh, Unlike today.
0: Yep. In fact, uh, as we get more into this, more into tonight's uh, show, you'll uh, we'll we'll get a chance to comment more on the sensitive nature of that uh, of that meter and how it needs to be sensitive, and how we had a little bit of trouble finding it, finding something that we could be using here for the uh, CWTD chat with the designer um, project that, that this is ultimately going to be. And uh, as I as I said, uh, also I I leaned over and looked at my meter face, and indeed it was uh, 100 microamps, just as Armand had uh, mentioned. Mike just asked a question there, Joe. Did you see it? What what purpose does that uh, 82 ohm resistor uh, serve?
1: I'm looking for the 82 ohm resistor. I don't see it. Ah, I do see it. It's a load for the uh, for the two, um, for the transformer, the uh, forward and reverse sensing uh, uh, toroidal transformer. It's a resistive load there. That's all it is.
0: All right. Well, this is kind of a, a breaking point, perhaps, for uh, others who might want to kind of toss in some questions. And I'd be personally be interested in how many people, if anybody here at all, has... Uh, one or both or either or, or some other type of old retro SWR meter like what we pictured here. Anybody have something like this? Yeah. Okay, I saw Rick, uh, Rick and, and Alan. Rick, go ahead. Uh, what do you have? Uh, actually, I picked it up at
2: uh, Hamfest a couple of weeks ago. It's a Pace 5403A uh, in a black box with UHF connectors on it. Uh, and it
0: looks uh, pretty well identical, although it's got also a power reading uh, capability. Uh, so. Very good. fests are great for those kind of things. There's really not too much to go wrong in those either. I mean, uh, once you kind of clean up uh, the insides and maybe you have to repair a diode, but uh, as long as the meter isn't burned out, you've got yourself an OK SWR meter. Um, I forgot who else was in there. Uh, Alan, did you have one?
2: Yeah, I used to have um, the uh, the one on the on the left there, and uh, I think I had the one that was for VHF, and uh, I don't have that anymore. But I've got kind of the later model that was a dual meter, you know, the same color scheme, a little bit wider, but had uh, one meter to read forward power and one to read uh, reverse power. Also has a uh, a peak reading circuit and stuff in it, so uh, a little bit more than completely retro, but uh, about the same vintage.
0: Now I'll tell you, one of my fondest memories of ham radio is back when I started. And I had an HB ten receiver and um that was after my Star Roamer, but an HB 10 receiver, and then I was able to get my hands on something just like the one that I'm talk that I had pictured here, uh an SWR meter, and having it sit right next to a uh my homebrew transmitter, like one of the uh two tube forty meter. Ten watt uh, transmitters out of QST magazine that I had built. It is fond memories there. Okay, um, and I see some other fellows have indicated that they had one uh, had had some of these from before Terry as well as Sam. Very good. Okay, let's let's move along here and kind of get into the meat of tonight's program. And uh, Joe, I'm going to turn it over to you in a second. But again, we started off with retro SWR meters and from yesteryear. And uh, now we're going to kind of take that circuit and we're going to modernize it a little bit in order to make it a little bit more versatile for us, especially on the QRP bench, and uh, get rid of some of the some of the limitations maybe that the original circuits had and uh, actually give us a bit of a project that we can explore. And I'm sure you've kind of moved down the whiteboard to see some of the photos and what we've built up is pretty much what uh, we're talking about from here onward. So Joe, why don't you take it away? As far as uh, what kind of improvements or what kind of uh, what areas have you been experimenting with along the years, and kind of introduced in a couple of our projects that we've seen already?
1: Okay, thank you, George. Yeah, um, the one thing that is, has has uh, tickled my fancy, so to speak, has been using a uh, resistive SWR bridge. When you're dealing with uh, QRP levels, uh, it's very easy to put some. Uh, two-watt resistors together and to make what amounts to a Wheatstone bridge with a couple of them uh, and if you look at the retro schematic um, that that uses 351 ohm resistors uh, three of them and the antenna form just such a resistive bridge and it has the advantage of being relatively broadband um, pretty easy to build easy to get uh, you don't have to wind any stinking toroids and uh, in fact, uh, it has some pretty good characteristics. Uh, W7ZOI, if you look on his webpage, uses resistive bridges for a uh, return loss bridge for his test equipment. So um, we've used that for, um, for this, uh, for this uh, project. And a little bit later, we'll tell you how it can be extended to higher power. But uh, generally speaking, we're going for, for about 5 watts Uh, Simple, easy construction. The other advantage of using the resistor bridge is that even with infinite SWR on the antenna, when you have the bridge in line, um, having resistors in there limits the SWR that the rig sees to two to one or less so that you don't burn it up. And that's a good, big advantage with uh, some of the solid-state rigs today that uh, will fry themselves very quickly. uh, uh, if you have yeah, SWRs uh, above two or three to one, uh, questions, George?
0: Yeah, you had a whole bunch of stuff there, and let's, let's kind of back it up and take it uh, one step at a time. I think well, a question that would go through one's mind is that, like, "Holy cow!" On one hand, you've got the uh, uh, the old uh, the retro circuits that we first reviewed up above. You've got a you've got a sampling coming off of a off of a a transformer, essentially, a toroid uh, sensing um, uh, coil that is able to deliver those RF samples down to rectification a little bit later on. Here, you don't have that. You've got, you're using resistors. Now, seems, uh, it it might seem to the uninitiated that, like, holy cow, you're you're putting resistors in the DC path right on your your coax line, and how can that be the same as sampling with a um, an, an isolated uh, toroidal transformer? So that's the the first thing that kind of comes to my mind, Joe, as far as how how that indeed uh, can happen, and what are the, uh, the 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 simple principles, I guess, of the Wheatstone bridge is is really what makes that uh, work for us, right?
1: You got it, George. Yeah, uh, it, <laughs> it does seem to be quite an odd, uh, odd duck, but uh, the bridge is, is relatively uh, easy to look at. Um, the, the left-hand uh, side of the bridge is comprised of two 51-ohm resistors that go from, uh, from the RF input from the rig to ground. So in the middle of those two resistors, it's a voltage divider, you'll see half the voltage that uh, is coming from the transmitter. That we take as the forward signal On the right-hand side, there's another voltage divider uh, that's comprised of another 51 ohm resistor and the antenna impedance itself. That forms another voltage divider. And if you run through some uh, resistor numbers, just putting various resistors on there, you'll see that um, if you have another 50, if your antenna is exactly 51 51 ohms going to ground, the uh, voltage on the right-hand side of the uh, bridge will be exactly the same as on the left-hand side of the bridge. So across the middle of the bridge where we have a detector diode, you'll have zero. That's a perfect SWR. And again, with resistors, if you if you look at other value resistors, um, you can run through the numbers and see that for a 3 to 1 SWR, uh, the voltage uh, across there, will the voltage difference will give you a uh, half scale reading on the meter. Um, two to one SWR will give you a third scale reading on the meter. And one and a half to one SWR would give you a fifth scale reading on the meter. You can run through the numbers. I'm not going to go through it, but the basic idea is you're looking at the imbalance of the bridge uh, caused by the voltage divider between um, a 51 ohm resistor and your antenna And the unbalance in the bridge is actually a uh, uh, the a sample of the uh, reverse uh, power that you have there. So by switching a meter back and forth between forward and reverse, you can compare the forward and reverse and read read SWR directly on the meter.
0: Okay, it is kind of confusing. Maybe I should have drawn it. uh, I should have drawn the circuit without some of the uh, distraction and and shown a typical Wheatstone bridge. Two legs, each with 51 ohm resistors stacked up. And then uh, if you kind of use your mind's eye and and, uh, where the antenna is indicated at the connector there, you kind of slide that antenna connector down to form the lower part of the right hand. Leg so you got a 51 ohm on the top and then the antenna on the bottom, which is what Joe was saying, and that forms the bridge. Um, observant uh, participants here would note that, as Alan just did, that we uh, that the ZM2 from MTEC that we discussed a couple of weeks ago actually has this type of a circuit. We didn't get into those details, um, but Alan Alan knows that it is. Further. Those of you who might know what the Micro 908 is, uh, the antenna analyzer that Joe and I designed and, and uh, have been producing over the years, also used a, a similar type of resistive bridge for all of the reasons you know, that Joe's mentioned and Joe is going to mention. Um, but it uh, uses the same principles, and and it's a, there's a very important principle in that, and I don't think that you mentioned it, Joe. But let's talk for a moment. Well let's lead into it first of all by saying by, by having you describe if you could please the, uh, the tap, the RF probe or the detector for the forward voltage, and then the detector for the reverse voltage. And then I'm going to f- don't t- don't touch on a phase issue for reverse yet, but I'd like to hit that afterwards. but just uh, talk about the two voltage or the two probes and how we get the signals coming down to the meter sure yeah i
1: didn't want to get into that detail originally indeed um, the reason i mentioned resistors was i wasn't going to get into phase yet Um, there are two detectors as you can see from the schematic the one on the left hand side we call forward that will be representative of the forward voltage and there's the detector between the two halves of the bridge um, that looks at the unbalance of the bridge that's the reverse detector so the idea is that, um, as with the older retro or the, the prior SWR bridges, the older ones, um, you set the switch in the forward position and adjust the series resistance to the meter so to get a full-scale reading. So that, that's full, full-scale power. Then you flip it over to the reverse position. And the meter will deflect a um, a, a, a fraction of the uh, uh, amount of the full scale reading that uh, depends on the bridge imbalance. If you have infinite SWR, the reverse reading will be full scale. It'll be the same as um, it it was for uh, um, the forward reading. If you have a 3 to 1 SWR, it'll be half scale. Because of the you're looking at the imbalance of the bridge and then uh, third scale for two to one sWR and fifth scale for one and a one one and a half to one sWR so you have to calibrate it first by setting the forward then flip over to reverse and the meter deflection will show you the unbalance of the bridge
0: and that turns out to be the sWR okay, so you gotta you gotta it's like a two-step process you need in order to uh, make the measurement. You're going to need to set the meter in a forward direction and do something, and then set the meter in the other direction and do something. So um, h- how is it that, uh, I guess, explain the, the the function of the set resistor, the set pot, and how that is able to ultimately have one in the VR, or the reverse direction, that that is able to be a relatively accurate representation of the SWR.
1: Well, the idea is that uh, when you flip the switch to the forward position, you're measuring the uh, a an analog, a half the input voltage from the transmitter. That always stays the same, basically. We'll assume it does. Whereas when you flip the, uh, the meter over to the reverse position, you're looking at the imbalance, you're looking at the detected voltage that is the difference between the two halves of the bridge, then that is proportional to uh, the SWR. So it's a fraction of the uh, the voltage that um, you would have uh, on the, uh, the forward position. For example, if you had uh, an open circuit for the antenna, the left-hand side uh, of the bridge would have half the transmitter voltage on the detector diode. Let's say it was 5 volts. On the right-hand side, um, there would be no current flowing through the resistor other than the detector. So you would have the output of the transmitter, in this case, 10 volts. So the difference between the two halves of the bridge, 10 volts on the right-hand side, 5 volts on the left-hand side, the, the difference monitored by... That uh, detector between the two halves of the bridge indeed would give you a five volt output, which is the same as the forward. That'd be infinite SWR. Then, as you have other impedance values on the antenna, they would vary in accordance to uh, what the uh, what the SWR is, and indeed would be a fraction of the uh, the full scale value, indicating a lower SWR than infinite.
0: Uh-huh so long story short is that uh if you adjust the the pot r one such that you get a full scale reading in the forward direction that that same setting assuming the components are accurate enough for your uh uh relative measurements here that the reverse reading is going to be truly you know a a, a good indication an accurate recommend uh, uh, indication of the reflected uh, or the reverse uh, waves going through the other side of the bridge. I see. Um, if, um, it, while you were speaking, Joe, I updated the whiteboard. And I guess if everybody would uh, maybe please refresh your browser such that you can uh, see the latest information that I put onto the whiteboard. Uh, well, during your discussion, Joe, it dawned on me that you went through a very, very um I think a good explanation of the bridge's operation on the micro nine oh eight in our technical reference manual. So I went to that manual, I extracted a couple of paragraphs from it and I put it up there. There's a couple of extra things there as, that may not might not relate directly to the our SWR bridge, but the techniques are the same as far as the four of le- uh, the, the two legs of the bridge. And um kind of like exercises for the student if you wish to go through and understand how that bridge works and how those detectors are actually giving you forward and reverse samples. The one that's the trickiest, and I found that the, the description that we did in the, the tech manual was most illustrated, was most descriptive in the reverse, uh, the VR or the, re- the reverse signal uh, detection, the diode and the capacitor going across the middle of the bridge. The phase relationship there is important, and when you get down to some of the mathematics and such, but I think uh, the couple of paragraphs we put up there is, is pretty good in this respect and be interesting reading for you uh, later on. So, um, th- in this case here, Joe, we've, we've got, um, I don't know if we put it in there, but uh, we're looking at like a 200 microamp uh, ammeter in order to... Uh, to be sensitive enough for us to be working this in the QRP world. Is that really going to do the job for us?
1: Yeah, it's kind of seat of the pants, uh, but uh, yeah, 200 microamp meter, and uh, we've been talking about a 200 uh, K uh, uh, potentiometer plus the other series resistors um, would, uh, uh, would work with as much as 10 volts Uh, 10 volt samples from the bridge. And at QRP levels, if you work through the numbers, you go up to five watts, um, the maximum voltage going through all those resistors will produce less than a 200 microamp current, um, unless I've made a drastic error in my mental arithmetic.
0: All right. Alan mentioned a, um, a question here, uh, if the antenna impedance is less than 50 ohms, is the circuit still going to work? And I suspect that might be because of the uh, thinking of the polarity of the diode. Is that maybe what you're be thinking of, Alan?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean you still have a difference across the bridge, but now the, uh, the imbalance in the bridge is the opposite direction, and I'm just trying to mentally think about uh, whether the diode needs to be reversed in order to detect it, but uh, I got to I'm still mentally thinking about it, but
0: maybe you can walk through it. Yeah, I'll go take it there, Joe. Yeah, uh,
1: actually, it, the diode just produces DC That's a uh, uh, that represents the imbalance of the bridge. And indeed, um, think about it this way. If you have, a, let's say you have a 50-ohm system, Alan. Uh, all the resistors are 50 ohms. If you have... Um, a uh, um, 100 ohm load which would be a two to one swr you'd have two thirds of the voltage on the right hand side um so you'd have a difference across a bridge of 0.167 um 0.167 assuming a one volt uh, uh, going into the bridge if you go to two to one on the other side on the low side that would be um um 25 ohms so instead of having 0.67 volts for the voltage divider on the right hand side you'd have um (laughs) i got to work through the numbers there you'd have uh, 0.33 volts 0.33 on the right hand side you'd still have 0.5 on the left hand side so you've got 0.167 uh difference across the bridge which is exactly the same as when you had a, a two to one with a a um, hundred ohm resistor on the right hand side of the bridge. Understand?
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I understand about the, uh, the 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 difference will be the same for the uh, you know for the same SWR. Just uh, but the polarity. I guess I keep thinking about it from a DC sense that the uh, you know uh, the right side of the bridge in this case is either going to be higher or lower than the left side of the bridge. And uh, I guess I'm trying to think uh, how you've got kind of the I'm thinking of the the diode on the cap is kind of a peak detector, uh, and the voltage is going to be. I, I get. A, I just have to kind of mentally think through it, and I'm, I'm sure it works. But uh, I guess uh, mentally thinking through it, I almost think I'd want a uh, like a uh, a bridge or, a, or a, a bridge rectifier or something to kind of uh, make things always positive. Okay, type of thing. But uh, I think it's just it's just my mental block after my uh, four-hour drive up here this evening.
1: Yeah, it's it is identical no matter how you look at it. Uh, whether the voltage is higher on the right or higher on the left, uh, you'll still get a positive output from the detector diode the way it is. There's a minor error uh, in it due to the current flow in uh, in the resistors in here, but uh, they're in the millivolt region. They're negligible, and it won't won't affect those detectors. Um, so the way they're shown uh, is the way it should work.
0: And then there's another uh, small source of error in that uh, the diode drop itself affects a little bit of the of the reading too and more sophisticated measurement systems have an opportunity to remove that or at least compensate for it, such as we do in the micro 908 reflectometer and um, also in your EQ um, probe if I recall right Joe right.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, they use a, um, a compensated detector, which feeds DC back through another diode to um, to counteract the uh, the forward drop of the diode uh, dynamically. But um, for s- something simple like this, where you're dealing with several volts of RF, you will get some error. But uh, uh, the error will <laughs> the error will tend to make SWR look look better. Um, for example, if you're dealing with a water the error is small enough that uh, it'll almost be undistinguishable. Um, it might make a, uh, a 1.5 to 1 SWR actually read something like 1.3 to 1, but um, uh, it's relatively accurate uh, and a lot more complication to, uh, to stick the a detector in something as simple as this.
0: Yeah. And then I think just a kind of a comment overall about the accuracy of this is, is not meant to be, you know, four to nine digits worth of accuracy. Here on the hand bench, well, we don't we don't need necessarily that kind of, of accuracy. And the distinction between 1.5 to 1 and um, maybe a 2 to 1 is a big difference, but that is easily seen in this kind of a uh, the accuracy that's achieved in this kind of a, a measurement system. And ac- in effect, it, it it's kind of interesting how relatively few components and simple topology is able to give you a measurement system that is quite reliable. And in this case here, frequency independent or much less frequency dependent than, uh, than the SWR bridges of, uh, from yesteryear. Uh, somebody brought up earlier in the discussion, or at least in the text side of the whiteboard. Um, Does this work at VHF? My glib comment was, sure, but like anything with VHF, you need to be careful about the lead lengths and sometimes the individual components that might be um, needing to work at higher VHF frequencies instead of the HF frequencies that we most often deal with. But the principles are all the same, and uh, um, it can indeed be even used higher, but... But you got to be more and more careful at uh, at those rates, at those frequencies.
1: One more comment about accuracy. Um, we put a meter in this thing so that you can get a a reading of reasonably accurate SWR. The uh, resistive bridges that several folks have mentioned in the BLT and the ZM, ZM2 uh, tuners uh, use a resistive bridge like this, but they use an innovation that... Uh, uh, Dan Taylor, N7VE, came up with. They use a, um, a toroidal transformer, broadband transformer uh, across the bridge to step up the voltage. Then they rectify it with a regular diode, feed it into an LED. So, actually, what you do when you're adjusting the SWR is you try to adjust for uh, least imbalance across the bridge, lowest SWR by uh, dimming the LED. Well, When you put the broadband transformer in there, you put a diode and an LED in there, you introduce other um, uh, errors. And you don't get an exact reading. You don't get any numeric reading of the SWR. You just get a relative reading. What we were trying to do with the meter was to get um, something like a numeric reading of uh, limited accuracy, but uh, far better than um, dimmer or brighter.
0: Yeah, and it, dimmer and brighter LEDs are kind of fun when you want a sort of gross indication and, and certainly for dipping purposes to minimize the illumination for uh, ultimately determine the, the lowest uh, or best match you can get. But in order to, it, it's, it's near impossible to actually get a quantitative number from a single LED that might be used as the... Uh, Uh, the tuning indicator. So like many things in life, there's many ways to skin a cat. And sometimes there are uh, some of the techniques, even the old tried and true methods with meters come into hand, uh, come handy uh, when you're actually looking for a uh, a specific value of what your SWR is, which leads us kind of into the construction, Joe. Um, What I did was um, uh, after some discussion with you, um, we, we sort of figured, well, gee, whiz, let's, let's, this is simple enough. Let's try to do some Manhattan style construction. And as it turned out, it was so simple that I even abandoned Manhattan style. I went more for the actual retro look um, of point to point type of wiring that you might have seen and experienced in the glory days of Heathkit with the, uh, Joe, what was the name? What's the name of that binding or the the strips I was thinking of earlier? Uh, The lug terminal strips. The lug terminal strips. You might not recognize it by that name, but if you saw it, you would definitely know it. And I was toying with the idea of actually putting them on here to act as the terminal points, the termination points or connection points for resistors to the to the diode and, and so on. I just didn't happen to. I, I didn't do it. That's all, but you can see from the construction where um, it, it's a pretty straightforward thing, and uh, the components went on pretty uh, easily. What do you What do you think there, Joe?
1: I think it looks pretty good, George. A uh, couple points of clarification. Could you? Uh, it It's not entirely clear uh, to someone who might not be familiar with the um, those BNC connectors. Uh, how is the connection actually made? Uh, the the hot lead, the center pin of the uh um coax connector.
0: Okay. Um you'll have to look in this in the the bottom. Oh, actually you can see it in the top uh the top view as well. The BNCs that I used and the ones that we would be supplying in the uh, in the parts kit that we'll make available here for uh uh chat with the designer attendees, um has a center lead that comes out pretty much at the center of the of the back end of the barrel and then right next to it on the left hand side if you're looking at it from the back there's the ground lead that comes out. So if you turn the board over and look at the second diagram I cut a hole in the uh, kind of an oval hole in the circuit board for those t- both of those leads to protrude and as you can see I maybe I grounded one the right hand side as the as seen in the picture, or actually, sort of the bottom side, but the right-hand uh, terminal get I just bent over and grounded it to the copper uh, to the copper plane, and of course um, the signal itself came out on the left-hand terminal, which I took up with bare copper or bare uh, um, uh, bare wire leading over to the switch. There are two mounting tabs for the BNC connector, for which holes were. Were uh, drilled in the in the copper clad, and uh, kind of a bifurcated uh, 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 body lead uh, pushed through and was able to hold it in place while I soldered it.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, if you if you think about the const- construction of the uh, of the connector and uh, look very carefully, you can see that. But for someone who wasn't familiar with the uh, connector, it almost looks uh, uh, almost looks like magic, how you ever get it. Um, one of the other things I see is um, your ground connections are right to the ground plane. I'd say a very handy way of doing it uh, without having to run wiring all over the place.
0: Yeah, that's right. And it's it's kind of nice in HF frequencies and, and actually where you don't really care too much where the ground where the ground current is flowing, if you will, everything is uh, at ground potential on there, on that copper plane, and I solder right to it wherever I needed the ground. You can see the ground connections going from the, uh, the two, re- on the bottom side of the, the bottom side photograph. We already talked about the BNC connectors, and then there's uh, the lower resistor, of the lower 51 ohm resistor is going to ground. I have that resistor kind of standing up. uh, But soldered uh, to the the ground. I have the the capacitor over uh, toward the upper side and left-hand upper side uh, going to ground. I have the capacitor going to ground uh, and then I have the meter, one of the meter, the left-hand meter side going to ground as well. And it provides a really nice uh, ground as, as Joe said. It also provides a really nice standoffs. The components themselves become standoffs to hold other circuits up. I think what I get, when I get a little bit more time, I'll add a couple other views of the of the circuit, and we'll provide a template such that you know maybe a little bit of guidance on on if you wanted to follow a cookbook and follow on where to or how to uh, how to connect the components and uh, on the on the back of the board there you can follow that, but you would see that the resistors and the capacitors actually hold up some of the components and the diodes themselves are soldered one end to the switches and the other end is kind of floating to the midpoint of the resistors and and such. But this is a common technique that was used in the past and it was kind of fun doing it because I'll tell you, this this circuit came together really, really fast. It sort of looks like it, but nonetheless, it's quite functional and it was uh, fun and easy to put together. Yeah, I note. Um,
1: well, you mentioned it with the resistor uh, going to ground, and then it it's standing up uh, at the right hand lower right hand side. You can see a resistor standing straight up. So in effect, it becomes a standoff. You don't need anything else, and you kind of air wire between those points. And if you follow a um, follow the path along that diagonal, there's a diode going from that junction point of the two resistors over to um, a capacitor. And it looks like the capacitor is also one end is grounded and you have air wiring. So that capacitor then becomes another physical uh, um, terminal point uh, to wire to.
0: Yep, you're absolutely right. And uh, if you kind of from the angle shown here, which is not the greatest, another angle would be really illustrative would, um, there's, there's really no, there's no uh, wire, open wire lead that is close, too close to ground to be dangerous or to short out. There's nothing that's too close to another lead to, sh- uh, to, to, uh, to short out. And it's all really quite uh, solid. I mean, if I, I could drop that and nothing would really uh, bounce or bend and, and otherwise uh, uh, harm the circuit. And what I did too is something that Joe and I have done in the past, is we sandwiched two circuit boards together. Obviously, the top board, which to which the components are are attached, um, would need to be protected. If it's sitting, even with the standoff shown there, if it's just standing on the bench, if if a pencil or something else were on the bench or slid underneath, you wouldn't want the that uh, pencil or object to kind of short out to those open wires. So what I did is I created an exact same circuit board, same size, and when I created them, I drilled the holes at the same time uh, for the four standoffs in the corners, and I just eyeballed it, actually. And, and hence, because it's not symmetrical, just a little, kind of a, a weird little tip and, or technique that I have. You see that little um, black mark in the right-hand corner of the, uh, when the on the underside of the board? That is an orientation mark that I use, and I have a similar one on the, uh, on the, on the mating board that gets sandwiched to it, such that I know that that's the proper orientation for the perfect fit to the standoffs. Those are 632 standoffs, and uh, I may able to just to uh, hand screw uh, the screws onto there and, and take care of it really nice. The meter itself was glued. Since there was no other, this is the cheapy meter that I had here in the shack, and it was just glued to the circuit board, uh, I used uh, our, um, epoxy. And, um, golly, what else? Uh, oh, here's a good point. Here's a good point about the uh, soldering to the large uh, large ground plane, Joe. You know, you you and I have often encountered uh, the a large amount of heat that's required from an, a soldering iron. Um, to to heat the the copper plane enough to attach the the resistor or capacitor there, I happen to use a Weller gun that gives me a hundred and forty watts when I'm looking to make those solder connections to uh, to the copper plane. But Joe, you use another technique, don't you?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I use another technique. I have a big honking iron. I got a fifty uh, watt iron chisel tip at um, of all things home depot that uh, provides enough heat um, and has uh, it has a massive tip to it uh, that will uh, heat up the the the, uh, copper very quickly so you can make a quick solder joint and get out of there before you delaminate the board Uh, one other thing i wanted to ask you george have you thought of uh possibly some sort of wraparound to protect the um, um area between the two boards so that this thing could be used, uh, portable, uh, it looks like some sort of uh, square metal wrap around or something made of PC board material could actually uh, form an enclosure.
0: Yeah, we could do that pretty easily, Joe. Um, I think only when, you know, you really want to take it off the bench and maybe put it through some manhandling or toss it into a bag where there other stuff could get in between it. You want to protect the circuit components from getting bent. And a good way to do that is uh, a technique, actually, that you you spearheaded for us oh a number of years ago, and use of uh, copper clad uh, circuit boards in making enclosures. In fact, one of our first projects for that was, it was kind of fun. It was the uh, oh nuts! It was it was, uh, it, was a, it was a small transmitter from Norcal that we built a case for the SMT something or other SMT one. And uh, we made a small enclosure, but you just get four rectangular pieces of uh, of circuit uh, of copper clad, and it's uh, fairly straightforward to solder them along the edge, maintain the 90 degree nature, and you've got yourself a a box.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, the, the uh, NorCal project was the original BLT uh, that we made a box for. And I cut those pieces on a harbor. Harbor Freight break here. By the way, I'll give you uh, some references after the session's over. I have two very good references, one from K7FO and another one uh, that's Chuck Adams, another from uh, Ken Lucasal, WA4MNT, on some techniques for uh, assembling boxes from uh, printed circuit boards. And uh, just incidentally, I just turned in my... uh, um, Latest uh, quickie for the uh, QRP quarterly. The latest Joe's quickie is actually uh, on building some Altoid, basically Altoid sized uh, enclosures with printed circuit board materials soldered together.
0: Ah, looking forward to those quickies, Joe. And I think uh, the techniques never go out of style because we've got a lot of copy. You and I, oh, we can go on for. For ages talking about this, but just a real quick mention. There was one, there was one, one, uh, Hamfest Dayton that we found, we, we stumbled into a boatload, a boatload of copper clad sheets. And we loaded up a, uh, a shopping cart. Now, you guys will get a kick out of this, a shopping cart full of these. And we were walking from the main Dayton, uh, flea market grounds uh, along the road to our car back in some parking lot behind, a. Uh, a restaurant bumpy and over grass. And oh my gosh, it was, it was a comedy of uh, comedy of calamity, but we ultimately got the copper clad home and we had a ball making all sorts of kits for, for guys for their, as Mike pointed out for the SOP receiver. Thank you very much. for Remember that one, Mike, that was a long time ago and the SMT one and the NorCal BLT and oh gosh, we still have a lot of copper clad left over and that's what we're, you know, that's, part of the parts kit that we're going to be putting together here for those who want to kind of play along and build up this circuit and see if you can replicate it or maybe come up with a design of your own. A technique that um, I was careful to do was to make the circuit board, although you can't tell too much in these uh, orthogonal views, make the copper clad very rectangular, very um, square in the corners such that uh, if it did come time to make a case out of it it would make it really easy. And Then it makes it pretty uh, makes it pretty uh, neat. And what I did, you can see the scratch marks, I took some sandpaper, yes I use sandpaper, and uh, made it all nice and bright and got all the oxide off. And then I I walked over to the, the sink and washed it off with soap and water, dried it really well, and then I put a very light coat of Krylon clear clear lacquer on there. So hopefully that'll keep the oxidation and the fingerprints off just a little bit longer than normal and make it look pretty spiffy. But that's uh, that's what we did for the construction here of the, of the retro SWR bridge. Joe, do you want to kind of start wrapping it up with some of the points that you wanted to uh, cover for testing and and other such?
1: Yeah, for OCD types like me, um, it's nice to build a bridge. But uh, and uh, you know you you have uh, bogey values for for what the SWR what the meter deflection should be for various SWRs. But if you really want to get down and dirty and test it, um, you can couple, use a couple 51-ohm resistors and uh, do some actual measurements. Um, as shown on the whiteboard, if you use just one 51-ohm resistor um, connected to the antenna connector, uh, you should have a 1 to 1 SWR. So um, uh, the meter deflection should be very close to zero. If you use um, three resistors, uh, two connected in parallel in series with another, you'll end up with 76 and a half ohm resistor, 76 and a half ohms, which uh, that's not right. It's not exactly right. You'll end up with about 75 ohms, which will be a one and a half to one SWR. Um, if you use just two resistors in series, it'll be 102 ohms for two to one SWR, a good load to test it. And then if you put three in series and connected the antenna point uh, and measured the SWR, it should be a three-to-one SWR. As we mentioned, the um, you know it won't be precision. The things may be off five percent or so, just due to resistor tolerance and uh, uh, diode drops. But um, we presented a, a means here of uh, checking the uh, checking the meter to see that it works. And uh, George has provided a picture in the uh, Uh, in the whiteboard of the actual meter that uh, we'll be supplying with these kits. And it is marked in SWR. But if you didn't have a meter, if you didn't have a meter with SWR markings on it, you could use those resistive loads and uh, put a blank piece of paper in there and make your own marks for 3-to-1 SWR, for full scale, first of all, then for 3-to-1 SWR, 2-to-1, and and 1.5-to-1, um, so that you could calibrate your own uh, meter face.
0: Always the, uh, always the, uh, want, look, looking to calibrate and find a close the loop on the numbers that we're reading. Appreciate that, Joe. That's that's, that's really good. We were lucky to find that SWR meter. That is one sharp looking meter, and it's on a slow boat coming to us from China. But nonetheless, we we got our hands on a bunch, and uh, we'll. <laughs> We'll make it available to those who want. Um, the uh, um, Oh, there's one more item I wanted to touch on. Well, are there any questions about SWR meters of yesteryear or today that, that we haven't touched on? We're going to transition just for a few minutes over to uh, make a couple of mentions about last week's project, which is the remote-controlled antenna switch. We're going to be continuing that and... Uh, but are, are there questions about the SWR topic for today? Yeah. What about the Stockton
2: bridge that one of the uh, club, uh, one of your club uh, circuits uh, published some years
0: ago, talking about? Was there any advantage to that? Yeah. Go ahead, Joe.
1: Yeah. Sure. it uh, It's a it's a good bridge. It's one of the four or five basic uh, configurations using. Um, um, using uh, toroidal transformers to do it. Uh, Indeed, it's good. You've got to wind toroids. And uh, there is some frequency dependence that uh, comes about because of the characteristics of the core. So uh, you could build one for HF, but it wouldn't be good at VHF. Um, And uh, you also would would need the particular cores that uh, Stockton used. The very original write-up I saw was the Brune Bridge, B R U N E? I believe the guy's name was Walter Brune, from Collins Radio, which used a similar configuration. And then there have been others over the years. Uh, but uh, of course, Mr. Stanton in England um, had this brilliant idea, and uh, he claimed uh, the idea is his own.
0: Mike asks a good question Can you measure power with this meter? Uh, with this project,
1: you can measure power if indeed you go into a fifty ohm load, but um, since you're measuring uh, the voltage depends on the load, and if you're using um, if you don't have a fifty ohm uh, exactly a fifty ohm antenna, you're not going to measure um, power uh, precisely you can measure relative power however
0: yeah um yeah, Rick, go ahead. Uh, Thanks. You. If you, I know this is all QRP discussion, but if you move up to the hundred watt and above kinds of transmitters, do you have to use a substantially different circuit?
1: No, actually, you don't. If you and and we'll provide the uh, picture. We will we'll provide the schematic diagram uh, in uh, after this session's over, but. Uh, basically, the idea is if you use a, if you pump the power into a 50 ohm load, your transmitter power into 50 ohm load and run something like a 1k resistor into the input of this bridge then the output of the bridge to your antenna, uh, you knock the power level down to what this bridge can handle and uh, you can run a lot higher power and still use the same bridge. It's just, you need an extra dummy load and some extra switching.
0: All right, sorry, Rick, Was you, were you finished? Just for saying thank you. All righty. Um, other, other questions before we move along? All right. Um, something comes to mind here and, and I know that it's all backed up with me as far as these kits that we've been reviewing, these projects that we've been reviewing for which we're making parts kits available. Um, this and a couple of others are, are quite imminent, but let's let's kind of set a uh, a fun type of thing here. Um, those who build up the kits, uh, if you can send us a picture, either send it to me or post it on the CW, down the chat with the designer um, Yahoo group or whatever. We'll post them on the website here. The the the, the person with the niftiest or most novel or coolest or best quality type of uh, meter or growler or rainbow tuner or whatever uh, for any given topic, uh, we'll, we'll, the, the grand prize will be the next kit is, uh, is on us. So maybe a little bit of an incentive if you got a cool way or a novel way to put together some of these kits or you just want to exercise some of your quality homebrewing construction techniques we would love to see that and I would like to share that with everybody here and it could pay off for you. I'll have details um, on this Chat with a Designer uh, Yahoo group about how and when uh, the, this part kit and others will come about. We're putting together a special web page of Chat with a Designer kits, the different projects that we've uh, been reviewing such that when they become available um, you'll be able to go to one stop and see them all and, and kind of get your hands around them if you will. Uh, if you so desire, uh, Joe. Let's talk briefly. Just wrap it up about the uh, the coaxial, or I'm sorry, the remote antenna switch. We've got the schematic there, which shows more of the an almost accurate or an almost detailed enough uh, schematic of things, and it really isn't too complex at all.
1: No, it's not complex. It uh, it fleshes out the block diagram that uh, we had before, with just a little more detail on uh, what's uh, What's entailed in the uh, the triplexer to split apart the um, uh, the DC voltage, the DC power that goes across the feed line, the uh, the RF and the
0: um, uh, audio
1: signals from the encoder uh, going into the coax. Then at the other end, splitting those three things apart uh, with some bogey uh, component values to be uh, to be determined uh, to be done more accurately, and then uh, just a conceptual uh, diagram showing the the rookie decoder on the antenna side feeding a relay driver IC, and then uh, the outputs of those going to each of the four relays, and uh, when the appropriate signal is sent from the encoder decoded by the decoder, it will energize one of those four relays, which then will uh, connect one of the four antennas to the um, uh, to the uh, feed line going back to the rig, um, as I say, a little more detail that uh, George uh, sketched up here, and we'll be fleshing it out more as uh, as time goes on.
0: Yeah, in fact, this very schematic is going to become uh, fundamental to the project, and is uh, the rookie PCB, for example, on the antenna side is is not as much conceptual as that's what the circuit board is. I wanted to show what was in this, on the Rookie, but basically you've got tone going in on the left, and you've got control uh, signals going out to your relay bank on the right-hand side. 12 volts and ground, and you're all set. And so a little board that goes next to the Rookie board and setting in that uh, weatherproof box that we pictured last time. In fact, you can, I didn't want to reproduce um uh, reproduce all the information there that you could see from last week's episode but that's that shows uh, um how the bigger picture is and we're going to get more and more granular and detailed such that at the end of the day which might be at the end of the week or two we'll have the the full system diagram that Joe and I definitely are building up because we each want this kind of capability at our uh, QTHs and then uh, Joe found some um uh, some really nifty uh, relays, dip relays that are going to serve the role for us really well. Joe, you want to just touch on that briefly?
1: Sure. Yeah, the whiteboard shows uh, uh, a little bit of the specs for the, uh, it's the Omron, uh, I I have the indicated the G5V2 relay. It's a dip relay. It's, um, well, the size of a dip package. Um, Basically, it'd be the same roughly the same as uh, an eight pin dip with about the same spacing. Um, it's a sealed case, has a uh, double pole set of double pole double throw contacts in it. Um, and a, a sensitive coil that um, is designed for use on 12 volts, uh, at about 12 and a half mils, uh, it actually picks up at nine volts. So if you're passing 12 volts over the coax and you have just a coax, as long as you've got 9 volts, it's enough to uh, trip the relay. The contacts are rated up to an amp, which should be adequate for um, definitely for 20 watts, up to 20 watts or so, and probably more. That, uh, that rating is for switching that current. In truth, uh, we're not going to be, we don't intend to switch RF with this. Um, when we're, uh, we don't intend to have RF flowing when we switch the relay, so that uh, the contacts will be um, uh, good possibly for more power. In addition, uh, since we only need a, uh, really a single pole, single throw uh, function, we can parallel the contacts in the relay to get a little more redundancy and a little less uh, uh, contact resistance so that um, get a little better reliability, we might be able to pump more power through this. These are relatively inexpensive, uh, pretty rugged re- little relays, used in a lot of things, and uh, we think we found a source of them that uh, that'll do the and uh, they'll do the job for us.
0: Yeah, indeed, and oftentimes it's the parts that make the project, or at least that make the project doable. For example, the uh, the SWR meter. That 200 microamp meter that we uh, that we found for the Retro SWR project here was pretty enabling. Um, without such a meter that you would otherwise need to pay like eight to ten or twelve dollars for, we found a good deal on it and that enabled us to kind of do some of this. So that plus some other components that we carefully pick enables us to put some of these things together, enables any of us to put some of these projects together on our bench. Also it gives you a little bit You know, you get a chance to use some of your own creativity and using parts from your junk box. You don't have to use the exact same part, the exact part that's specified in a project, either that you see in QST or in old ham radio magazine, or even here. If If you've got a, for example, instead of dip relays, maybe you really like reed relays, if you know what those are, but you have a different style of relay that you might be able to adapt for using here. Why? Because you have it, and you don't have to pay for it. So anyways, that's uh, that's the story for tonight. Um, the, what, we, what we covered was the retro SWR bridge. Uh, Brooks asked, why did we, you know, how did this become known as the retro project? Well, because it's just as simple as the old uh, SWR bridges from yesteryear, but with a little bit of an improvement, uh, the use of the resistive uh, diode bridge, that um, circumvents or gets around some limitations that the older style SWR bridges from back then used to have and gives us an opportunity to make it smaller and better and just as inexpensively for ourselves on the bench. And we offered that as a kind of a a, uh, reference project here that you can follow follow along and do yourself. Love to hear back if anybody gives it a try. And as I said, we'll get a parts get together for, uh, for those here who want to do that. And then we also provided a bit of a an update, a continuing update on a remote-controlled antenna switch. This is a real project, and that too will result in a in, in being a chat with a designer project that uh, you could do if you, if you want to. That's kind of the beauty. If we're collecting a whole lot of reference circuits, references in general, different topics, all of this on podcast and a really extensive whiteboard system that uh, hopefully you'll find useful as you go downstream, improve your home brewing techniques and enjoyment of the hobby. OK, Joe, we want to wrap it up, please.
1: Basically, what we did tonight was to um, talk about uh, some SBR bridges from the past and um, some of the limitations, some of the, uh, the nice features they had. And we presented a design which uh, we called retro. Because it um, it kind of tries to um, have the look and feel of some of the older designs, having a, uh, uh, a an analog meter of all things, uh, readable, uh, where you can actually get uh, some numeric information off the uh, the panel of the meter, and a uh, a potentiometer to do to get the operator in there actually adjusting something, while more modern techniques things uh, allied to um, some of the things we do these days, and some different construction techniques in terms of uh, using point-to-point wiring, air wiring on some uh, copper clad board, uh, a little more modern techniques than were used in the past. Uh, in addition, we uh, give an update on uh, the uh, chat with the designers remote control antenna switch, fleshing out the block diagram a little more. Uh, giving it some more uh, detail. And uh, we've done a lot of thinking to uh, try to uh, bring the design to a uh, successful uh, implementation here. We've got, uh, George and I have a couple boxes. We have a, a lot of the parts. It's a matter now of um, yeah, getting the parts together. And as George mentioned, finding the time to put it all together. Uh, and that's it for now.
0: So good night, all. Thank you very much, 73. We'll see you next week on Chat with the Designers. Bye-bye.